Welcome back to the Pactum Factum podcast, the superpower of everyday negotiation. I'm Lucia Cantor, St. Amour. Negotiation is everywhere, every day. This is the negotiation laboratory where we share insights into basic skills, strategy, history, storytelling, behavioral sciences, and social trends. It's all connected. We are all connected. And everyone can learn how to better negotiate everyday life with keen eyes, hearts, and minds. Thanks for joining us. Now, we're going to have some fun with making this episode a participatory one. The catch is that you'll need to listen to the whole story and the end of the podcast a tad longer than previous episodes, maybe, to find out how to play. We're going to get in a time machine and take you back to the year 1998, the very end of July, or actually, I think the beginning of August. Now, Nina, you and I had just finished the bar exam. Do you remember what you did immediately after the bar exam? I'm afraid that all I did was take a week off to rest. It was just not a time in my life when I could have a good time and travel, but I have more than made up for that in the past decade, so. Okay, well, that's fair enough. Um, I traveled in Russia via London with my parents after the bar exam. Wow, now that is fascinating to me because I traveled to the Soviet Union when I was a teenager in the 1970s, and I'm going to be really interested to see how your experience of post-Soviet Russia compares to mine. Well, and I had spent the final semester of law school learning Russian because I have sort of a policy of trying to learn the language of the country I'm visiting. I mean, it seems like a basic courtesy. And I also have no qualms about doing something badly in front of other people because that's <laughs> that's how you build skills, by performing them poorly to start. Well, I love that attitude, Lucia. That's exactly the right attitude to have. Yeah, well, you got to start somewhere. So there I went off with my rudimentary Russian, and I was to be away for a full month and didn't know how much opportunity I would have to communicate with my boyfriend at the time of three years. So I got this idea. Before I left on my trip, I purchased two bound journals with empty pages. I handed one to him and suggested that for each day that I was gone, we would each write in our journals about whatever we did that day. And I told him it didn't matter how brief or seemingly insignificant the day was. Even if the most interesting thing you did that day was bought new shoelaces, write it in the journal, I told him. The idea was that we would exchange our journals upon my return and thereby sort of have shared that time with each other. Now, I wrote in my journal every single day in detail, which probably comes as no surprise to you. Upon (laughs) my return from my travels, how many days do you think he wrote in the journal? And I realize I'm not supplying you with much background information on the relationship, but you may even recall my boyfriend during law school because you were there. So take a wild guess. Oh, dear. I have a sinking feeling I know the answer. (laughs) (laughs) He had not written one single day. Indeed, not a single word 
in his journal. And that was the final straw in an already wishy-washy relationship in negotiation parlance, since this is a podcast about everyday negotiation. It was a deal breaker. Uh, yes. I broke up with him immediately <laughs> uh, when I got back from Russia and started my new job as a junior associate at a San Francisco law firm and moved on with my life. In retrospect, I see that he kind of did me a big favor by not writing in his journal because that was a relationship that had run its course. It sounds like it was for the best. Yes. So I had forgotten all about the journal, Nina, until I came across it a few years ago while rummaging around for something else, as these things usually happen. I read it cover to cover, and it brought up a lot for me. Have you ever done that, reread an old journal? Oh, yeah, on a number of occasions. I'm actually kind of a memory addict. I really like being reminded of moments that I had forgotten so I can relive mm. them. So I love doing that with old journals. I also find it's sort of surprising every time I do pick up an old journal to realize how little I have fundamentally changed as a person. I mean, really, mm. the challenges I had in the past seem to be the same. I think I can say I deal with the challenges a little bit better now, but it's often a little humbling, a little too revealing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I know it's pretty common course prescribed by therapists, that is, to write in a journal. And I wonder what they say about rereading old journals and all the memories and feelings it conjures. I do know we have several psychologists listening, so feel free to ping us with your thoughts on that. So anyway, I, I stopped in London on my way to St. Petersburg where I actually met up with another law school colleague of ours. And we had tea at Fortnum and Mason. We shopped antiques at Portobello Road, visited the London Tower. We did the whole law geek tour and visited the Old Bailey, the Civil Court, the House of Commons, and a day tri trip out to Bath and Hampton Court. Now, Nina, I know you are versed in Shakespeare and Chaucer, where various characters were featured in those areas. Have you been? Oh, many, many, many times. I First of all, I have a lot of relatives over there. Um, and then I also was really privileged to teach undergraduates for three years in the summer as part of a Shakespearean performance class for UCLA students. This was in the 1990s um, in Stratford-upon-Avon. And I've been back to England many times after that. In fact, a couple of years ago in October, I took a trip and I got to see Ian McKellen in King Lear in London. Whoa. And I, it was great. It was amazing. And then I also got to visit Bath for the first time on that trip. And I just thought it was fabulous. It was beautiful. And there were so many interesting things to do. And those Roman baths blew me away. I had had no idea they were so well preserved. It was like stepping it's, back it's, in time. It's amazing. amazing. Well, we got lost in the famous hedge maze at Hampton Court, but then figured out the secret to the Hampton Court hedge maze and found our way out of it, which I referenced in my journal to my boyfriend, hinting to him that I might share the secret with him, but not actually writing the secret in the journal. And I cannot remember the secret. Oh, I asked no. Siri, but she's not talking. So oh, no, oh, God. I, I can't help it's either. Awful. That's, that's something I haven't so, done. That's, <laughs> sorry that's why that. I was asking if you'd been there to, to see if maybe you knew the 
secret <laughs> and you don't. No. So if you are listening to this and you know the trick to the Hampton Court hedge maze, can you please drop a comment? Because it's not Googleable. I've tried. The only thing I really found was something about always turning left, but that wasn't it. The New Yorker even did a detailed piece on hedge maze architects last year, if you could believe that. And Hampton Court was mentioned, and I scoured that article, but it did not reveal the secret. So it's kind of torture. Anyway, I finally arrived in St. Petersburg, where I was delighted to find that the facts, yes, a a fax I had sent from a travel agency in London in an attempt to prearrange an airport taxi had actually worked because there was a man with my name on a card, just like you see in the movies and well, and in real life at the airport. (laughs) And I was reunited with my parents uh, who had arrived the previous day. Now, we weren't on any group tour or anything. We were traveling on our own as all three of us had extensive international travel experience. Wow. I think that would be challenging. Well, that did turn out to be a mistake, Nina. Russia in 1998 was maybe 10% quote-unquote open to tourism with incongruent information and it was tough to tour independently. Getting around was difficult. Communication was difficult. I mean, my Russian language lessons saved us. And even securing food was difficult. The prices were high, comforts were minimal, freedom of movement was not encouraged, and the economy was clearly troubled. With the exceptions of the area surrounding the Hermitage, it was a place just mired in poverty and disrepair, and the Russian people seemed downtrodden. You know, that sounds, unfortunately, not so different from Russia under the Soviet Union as I experienced it. That's too bad. Yeah. Well, with each passing day, we became so fatigued and discouraged that we finally marched into a travel agency to find out about any group tours we could join. And it turned out one of the Volga River cruise ships to Moscow had one cabin available. The catch was there wasn't a single English speaker on the ship. It was a cruise full of tourists from Barcelona. So the only languages spoken by passengers and interpreters were Russian and Spanish. No problem, (laughs) I assured my parents. (laughs) I spoke both those languages. And that was when our real adventure began. So off we went to the metro to eventually arrive at the port where we would embark. Now, I'm going to pause for a moment and say a word on the St. Petersburg metro experience. This is the Mayakovskaya station, and this is taken directly from my journal. Quote, it was like something out of that movie Blade Runner, downright Orwellian. It is grim inside and very, very crowded. You buy a token and then drop the token into a turnstile, which places you at the top of a long escalator. We got on the escalator and rode, I am not kidding, for about a quarter of a mile underground. These crazy dim cone-shaped lights hover above you. No one is talking and there is somehow a menacing ambiance. I felt a little nervous, but was glad we were with the travel agent, Tanya. I asked Tanya if the metro was dangerous at night. She looked me in the eyes and responded with one word, da. That's a yes. 
Once we reached the bottom, it was like we had descended into the underworld, dark and silent and cold. There were no visible tracks, only a series of elevator-type doors with clumps of people waiting in front of each set of doors. No one spoke. It was eerily devoid of chatter or human interaction. Without Tanya, I would have had no idea what to do, but we stood and waited with a particular clump. Suddenly, the doors in front of us opened, revealing a stopped train car. We were shoved inside by the throng of people around us, and the doors slammed shut. Thus, we were inside a concrete tube. This was around the time when I just wanted to get the hell out of there. I felt trapped. Eventually, we alighted at the River Harbor stop and ascended the long, long escalator for our quarter-mile ride to the top. Wow. Unquote. Wow. So... Then we walked a couple of blocks to the seaport where all the cruise ships were lined up. And the long and short of it is that I spent the next nine days interpreting between Spanish, Russian, and English for my parents. It was cold. It rained practically every day. I became exhausted. As our cruise down the Volga to Moscow drew to a close, my parents were interested in exiting Russia via train, which would take us through the Ukraine. And for which we thought we would need to apply for special visas, according to something my mom had read in a travel book. Now, bear in mind, our entire original travel itinerary had been turned upside down. So we are winging it at this point. Okay. And that was when my mom decided to take it upon herself to negotiate with the cruise director, who, again, spoke not a word of English. Her name was Ludmila about looking into tickets to get us through the Ukraine and onward somewhere else. Well, our listeners might recall an earlier episode where I caution about making sure you have the right people present at the negotiation. Uh-huh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, I'm not sure what all went down because my dad and I had gone off on our own excursion. When we returned, I could see in my mother's face that something was very wrong. Ludmila, most likely planning to inflate any quote she procured so that she could pocket a little fee for her efforts, offered to inquire into the train tickets and visa on our behalf. My mom insists she made it clear to Ludmila that she did not want her to purchase any tickets. She only asked for information. Well, Ludmila had purchased train tickets for us through the Ukraine and was demanding that we pay her a sum representing the cost of the tickets plus a 50% markup as a quote-unquote service fee for her efforts. My mom had been waiting for me to return to try to make Ludmila understand the mistake she'd made and her unsupportable demand. Well, I spent the next hour or so trying to reason with Ludmila, also with the help of one of the Russian-Spanish interpreters on the ship, and there was actual fist-shaking, foot-stomping, and paper-throwing on the part of Ludmila, accompanied by her refusal to acknowledge any error or to adjust her fee. So we steadfastly refused to yield or to pay any of the money she demanded. From our perspective, it was a shakedown. Yeah, sounds like it. Okay, the next morning, all of the other Barcelona passengers had disembarked the vessel for good early around 5 a.m., as did all the interpreters. Uh, 
The uh-huh. only remaining passengers were me and my parents. We woke up a bit later and packed our bags to also leave the ship for our next destination to be determined at this point, right? But when we attempted to leave, Ludmilla appeared, began shouting at us, and summoned three uniformed men with rifles to block our path. Get out. How scary. Okay. She disembarked from the ship and returned with the captain of the neighboring ship and three more men. They closed off the exits and locked us inside with them. Ludmilla and the captain disembarked. Okay, so Ludmilla and the captain have left the building. Yes. And there we were. Held hostage at gunpoint. And by whom? Port Authority? We didn't know the significance of the uniforms, but we understood the rifles. Yes. Okay. At this point, <laughs> our listeners might be thinking, what did you tell me this story for? This is supposed to be a podcast about the superpower of everyday negotiation. This is an extraordinary event that hardly happens every day to the common person. I've been duped. I'll never get these 15 minutes or whatever back of my life, <laughs> to which I retort, au contraire, mes amis. While this is admittedly a vivid and extreme example, it's something that happens in everyday life all the time. Feeling you've been backed into a corner, physically or figuratively, unprepared, with no plan, and needing to think and act quickly to negotiate your way through the situation. So, chew on that. In fact, you're all going to chew on that because I'm going to pause and ask our listeners to contribute their thoughts to what they would have done next in this situation. What was our next play? Locked in, alone on a ship, rifles trained on us. Nina, this is the first you've ever heard this story and having no time to plan, as we did not that faded day in 1998, what's your instinct. Anything? Oh my gosh. I mean, that is such a bizarre situation to be in. I'm really racking my brains. I mean, I think, I guess I would have just tried to talk with the soldiers to see if there was some way that you could connect with them and get more information about what was going on. They're the ones with all the power. So you're going to have to try to figure out some way to connect with them and maybe by asking them a little bit about who they are, or what they're doing, what their mission is, maybe what their relationship was with Lyudmila and the captain. I don't know. I, I just sort of begin a conversation so that maybe then you could get them to see your side of things. That is, that's all I can think of at this point. I'm sorry. Not, no, not bad, Nina. Not bad <laughs> at all. I mean, I like the way you think. Okay, well... We shall monitor the listener comments and emails and then share some of them in the next episode, along with my reveal of what actually happened next. And here's how to contact us. What? We have to wait until the next episode? Yes. This is a a cliffhanger episode. That's just how (laughs) we roll around here at Pactum Factum, the superpower of everyday negotiation. (laughs) So let me give everybody the ways in which they can share their ideas. You can email us, and that's lucia at pactumfactum.com, L-U-C-I-A at 
Pactum Factum. It's Latin for a done deal. So Google it.com. Or you can text us at 925-322-0545. Ooh, I can't wait to see what people come up with. Thanks for listening or even partially listening while you multitask. You never know what might stick with you. Keep your ear out for this space because we sure do appreciate your company. I'm Lucia Cantor St. Amour of Pactum Factum, which is Latin for a done deal. You can find me here on Substack and on pactumfactum.com.